Well, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, hopefully you've marked your place there already. As I said, we're going to take this in two passes. We'll look there this week and again next week. I'm calling this preparing for spiritual battle. If you'll look with me there, and if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand out of reverence for God's word, attention to his voice as he speaks in it. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We open it now, as always, with great expectation. You have something to say to us in it. And so we open our ears and hearts to receive that. Would you speak, O Lord, your word by your spirit, through your servant, to your people, for your glory and our good always. Lord, move me out of the way. Use my voice as your instrument today, for Christ's sake. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, it's typical that in, a, in an army setting, in a military setting, really, that when a unit is getting ready to go into battle, they'll get some kind of preliminary notice to get ready for battle. It's typically called a warning order, at least in my very, very limited knowledge of such things in the military. Uh, uh, if you saw the newsletter article, I alluded to that this week. But in a warning order, the standard format of that would include um, again, this is really very general and preliminary that just gives them uh, some advance notice so that they can begin pr preparing as soon as possible and uh, as much as they need to before detailed orders come. But it would, it would include just the situation at hand, the mission um, that's going to be before them in broad terms, general instructions that they'll need like uniform and equipment to carry, special weapons that are going to be needed, tentative time schedule, and so on. And then whatever special instructions there might be for uh, specific individuals within the unit. And I suggested that Ephesians 6 through 20 really to me functions as a bit of a warning order of sorts. It is to the people of God a, a notice that says, get ready for battle. Be, prepare yourself be ready for battle. That's the message to us in um, Ephesians chapter 6. 
And this is really this kind of concept of like a warning order is a helpful way of even kind of unpacking what's there in Ephesians 6 and, and, and organizing it a little bit for us to think about what's really important for us to consider as we take heed to these instructions and then walk them out. Because when we read this passage, it's easy for us to jump right to the general instructions, as, uh, as it were, um, about all the pieces of armor. In fact, the heading in your Bible uh, probably says the full armor of God, right? And so we, 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 we're kind of inclined to jump right there uh, and, and take a closer look at all the pieces of armor and overlook what's the situation What's the situation we're being apprised, uh, being apprised of? What's going on that he's telling us about? Namely, who's the enemy? Where is he? What's he doing? And who are the friendly forces aligned with us that we're fighting alongside, that we have before us, behind us, around us, and so forth? I want to look at that in particular this morning, from really the first few verses of this with, with a special uh, examination of who is the enemy. That's not because we need to be uh, overly preoccupied with the enemy, and it certainly is not because we need to be afraid of him. But we need to understand who is the enemy that we're being told to stand against? I would preview, we'll talk more about the mission and those general instructions of this order next week. But as you pick up on, as you read this, the mission is essentially stand. Uh, stand your ground, defend the territory you've been given charge over, and don't cede any of it to the enemy. Uh, that's really the mission. In fact, I would say a, a little bit parenthetically here that we probably ought not to divorce this passage entirely from the ones we've been reading in recent weeks, namely the instructions he's given to the Christian home. Uh, he's, been, he's been telling husbands, wives, parents, children, slaves, masters, and so forth, um, instructions about how uh, gospel life is to be lived out in the home, and I would suggest to you that as we respond to this warning order, as it were, the very first place that we make our stand is in our own homes where we've been given authority. It's not limited to that, but it's certainly not divorced from that, and that's going to be the mission we're given to stand our ground, but we want to know something about who is the enemy, where are they, what are they doing? And so uh, let's look a little bit about what we can glean from this passage about who the enemy forces are. Now, first of all, we're told that they're spiritual. Uh, that's not particularly revelatory to you. You knew that when you read it on first pass. But they're spiritual forces that are aligned with the devil himself, that Lucifer the serpent, the one who has been the enemy of God from the very beginning of creation. Verse 12 says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Again, many of you are familiar with this passage, and it's one of those familiar passages can be dangerous to us 
um, because we become sort of unconscious to what they would say to us that we need to hear in a fresh way. But he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's perhaps the single most important point in this whole passage. Because we tend to see our adversaries as people, government, agencies, and institutions, right, or uh, government officials. We see our enemy as being media outlets, universities and schools, etc. right? The, 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 we look around, we see lots of problems. It doesn't take really any careful attention or uh, even a whole lot of intelligence to look around and see problems in the world we're living in. It doesn't, it doesn't take a whole lot to look around and recognize it as evil. And in fact, evil manifests in all the places I just mentioned. But that is not our enemy per se. It's certainly not our primary enemy. Surely, real problems exist in those places and they have to be confronted in those places. That's real life. We do live in the flesh and we do face um, adversity in the flesh and we have to contend with it in the flesh. But that is not where our battle really is. That's not the real enemy. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. Our enemies are spiritual. Second, they're invisible. They're spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It says again in verse 12. And heavenly places doesn't just mean that they stay kind of up there in the stars somewhere. I mean, this word would really uh, uh, pertain most, most often and most directly to heaven up there where God dwells. But it's not as if uh, the spiritual forces of darkness just sort of live up there in the heavens far off with like a video game controller manipulating activity here on earth. Like it's the good guys with one set of controllers against the bad guys with another and they're controlling things down here on earth. They, they are not just up there and far off somewhere. The Bible says creation, all of creation that God made consists of a visible realm and an invisible realm. There is around us, you might say in our presence right now, there is an invisible realm and there's activity in it. It's not just far off somewhere. Colossians 1.16 says that by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Now, the good news about the rest of what it says is he's, he not only created it all, it's for him and he's Lord over it all, visible and invisible. If you don't get anything today, that'll be at the end, but just take that away from you. He's, he's already victorious over it all. But there is an invisible realm. In fact, Ephesians 2, 2 calls the devil the prince of the power of the air. That's speaking of the air right here. I mean, that would refer to the, 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 not just the sky up there or the heavens like far off in outer space, but the invisible realm right around us, the air that we sort of breathe, that, that the devil is the prince of the power of the air. All I'm really trying to do is simply to say that there, 
there is a reality, there are spiritual realities that live in the invisible realm actively and among us, not just far off. It's not make-believe. And by the way, um, I, I would love it if I could in some way take the weirdness out of this concept. There are lots of people for whom, you know, you start talking about devils and demons and angels and, and, they, and they, they sort of construe it as being something like ghosts and goblins and Halloween stories with little white Casper-looking creatures blowing around and, you know, in, in the dark or whatever. Um, it's not really strange at all. God, who is spirit who himself is invisible, created a world that's both visible and invisible. That there are creatures that are visible and creatures that are invisible. There are visible creatures like you and me who have personality. We are persons. And there are invisible creatures that are persons and have personality and function in a way that's similar enough to human persons that we can understand it. They are not human, but they're persons with personality. Again, it's really not all of that strange. In fact, uh, it would almost be stranger if there is a God who reveals himself the way he does in the scriptures, if he, re- if he created a world that didn't consist of invisible realities. But one of the implications of that, and then I'll, I'll move on from this point, but that as enemies, demonic forces who are arrayed, aligned against us, are, are more like terrorist cells than they are a standing army who's kind of lined up against us like we're going out to battle. Okay, this looks less like the, the uh, civil war with people lined up, aiming guns at each other in an open, open field, and more like 21st century terrorist cells. There are, enemy, there are enemies. They are among us. We don't see where they are. That's the nature of our spiritual enemies. They're, they're spiritual, and therefore they're invisible. But they're very real. And third, they're organized. They're organized. Verse 12 speaks of them as rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this present darkness. If we looked over in in Colossians 1, again in verse 16 that I cited earlier, it goes on to refer to them as thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. I think we'd be mistaken um, to to take that to mean that these are somehow formal uh, uh, ranks or something like that. In other words, it's not as if he's saying generals, colonels, majors, captains, or something uh, quite that formal. But what, uh, what I think the very clear, unavoidable implication is that rulers and authorities exercise rule and authority. Does that seem like a safe inference to you? That is to say, if there are spiritual forces of darkness who are rulers and authorities, it means that they exercise rulership and authority over some other spiritual forces. Make sense? They are organized. There is some sort of structure and hierarchy within the invisible realm, the spiritual realm, 
that's something relatable at least to, to what we know of as human beings, where there are, there are uh, there's order and hierarchy and command structures in the army, in the government, in business, and so on. And so there are among spiritual forces. They're organized. They have assignments. They have a mission. Uh, they have a task. They have a measure of power. Um, they are not just Halloween playthings to make jokes about, uh, lest we are, uh, uh, unless we are applying the authority and the power of Jesus Christ against them, and then um, they are—they really are quite weak and frail, and so on. But they're organized. Uh, and, and aim to carry out the particular purposes that they have. Uh, next, they're unpredictable. They're unpredictable. I say that because we're told here to put on the full, full armor of God, not so that we can stand against the power of the devil, not so that we can stand against the attacks of the devil initially, but so that we can withstand the schemes of the devil. The, 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 new, the uh, King James Version uses the word wiles. Like, I don't know the word wile except from Wiley Coyote. I'm dating myself, but you remember the character, right? The devil plots and schemes and engages in trickery. This is, this is his method. And what we're cautioned against, the warning order that's issued to us here, is to arm ourselves, equip ourselves, clothe ourselves so that we'll, we can stand against the schemes of the devil. They're unpredictable. Now, having said that, he does have some really common strategies he employs. You may have just noticed that in your own spiritual walk, that, that the devil operates in some pretty common ways like he because it is his nature to steal kill and destroy and you'll find him doing some version of that all the time because it is in his nature to hate god and to hate the people of god he hates human beings because they're made in the image of god and has been about the business of destroying humans from the very dawn of creation, so to speak, from, from the fall anyway, from that scene in the garden. And he has a special hatred for the church of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ has a special love for his church. And so he creates division and strife in churches and in families regularly. You want to talk about common strategies of the enemy, there you go. There you go. Causing division and strife in the church and in the family. It's not limited to that, but, it, but that's the playbook over and over and over again. And over and over and over again, our response to those circumstances very often is to respond to the circumstances 
and not to see underneath them or behind them, how, whatever uh, sort of metaphor you want to attach, how the enemy is at work in order to create strife and division around particular circumstances. I thought about COVID as an example um, of that, as all the way the church was impacted by that. I mean, the life of the church, even specifically, and even our local church, what are we going to do about worship and masks and social distancing and all these kind of things that were at play? I was sharing with somebody recently, uh, my almost singular priority during that season of time was to hold the church together. It, none of the particulars of that really mattered too much to me. But it was, let's don't rip each other apart um, because that issue is not the real issue. But, but, but Satan was certainly at work in creating division in the church around those issues, and he does it in marriages and families all the time. What appears to be the issue is actually a secondary issue. The devil just uses those circumstances in order to cause strife. There are, there are schemes, but see, so the, the common strategies, but the, but, but the particular scheme he uses will be new and different and unpredictable. And so we're cautioned to expect not only the unexpected, but to expect the unimaginable from him almost. To just be clothed all the time to be prepared all the time to withstand uh, the schemes of the enemy. And then finally, what we see here about the enemy, those enemy forces, is their attack could come at any time. This is really just an, uh, implied by the language of the whole passage. I don't have a particular phrase in there that says that. But the very fact that, that, that Paul says, um, be armed always. Be in constant readiness, praying at all times, and so on. The, the message is uh, not like you would get, in the army might get in a lot of warning orders that would say, get ready to deploy in 60 days. Here's the broad nature of our mission, and the general instructions will deploy in 60 days. No, no, we're not being told we've got 60 days. He's saying, get prepared now, for an attack that might come now or at any time. Stay armed, stay clothed for battle at any moment. That's who the enemy is and what he's up to and therefore what it is we're to prepare for in taking our stand and preparing for our mission. The second thing about the situation that we would ordinarily be told in a warning order is that there are also friendly forces I don't have a whole lot to say about this um, this morning, but the, really what, I've, what needs to be said, I've already said, namely, that we're on the side of Christ and we have all of his resources available. And secondly, that he is already victorious. Now, this can sound really trite and cliche, um, again, for those who have been in the church for a long time, as we, we use that kind of language, but it is a reality in the heavenly places. Christ has already lived a life on this earth in the flesh. He has already suffered. He has already died, and he conquered death, and it won't get him again. 
It didn't get him the first time. You see, he's, he's already done that, and the enemy knows that. The enemy knows his fate. He is defeated, but he doesn't quit fighting. He doesn't quit fighting. He doesn't quit trying to cause damage and death just because he knows he's a defeated foe. He doesn't roll over and say, oh, you got me. He continues to lash out, and most especially at the church of Jesus Christ. If you read the book of Revelation, well, that's really one of the themes in it, that, they, that there's, this, there's this war going on in the heavenly realms, that it's manifest in the visible and earthly realms, that it's really a contest between the devil and Christ, but he goes after the church of Christ specifically. And the other part of the story in the book of Revelation is even when it looks like the enemy is winning, he is not. He is a loser. And he will lose ultimately and finally and eternally. But in the meantime, he still attacks. And he might attack at any time in an unpredictable way uh, from an invisible place in an organized fashion. But I remind you of what we read in Ephesians chapter 1 about the victory that Christ has won. It says, in fact, it says the power available to us, I've offered this as a benediction from time to time, that we might know the hope of His calling, the riches of His inheritance, the exceeding greatness of His power to those of us who believe. And he goes on to say the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him, verse 21 of Ephesians 1, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. That's our team, folks. We're on his side. He is absolutely, totally victorious. And so the mission we'll, we'll, we'll look at and take up next week is to clothe ourselves in the full armor of God, not in our own resources but His, and stand. And the enemy cannot uh, conquer the Lord in whose power we stand. Amen. And so we're going we're gonna to wrap up there today with sort of part one of this message and, and obviously take up more of the text uh, next week as we look at uh, the mission and our instructions about how to do that a little bit better. But it is good to, to be clued in to who the enemy is and what he's up to. I would suggest to you by way of analogy that Jewish people this week not only in Israel, but all over the world, are much more clued in 
to who the enemy is and what he's about. In fact, I would say uh, I've heard reports from a couple of different um, places that there are Jews, particularly in America, arming themselves like they haven't before. And I don't mean to stir up something right here at the conclusion of the service. Well, what I'm saying is this is very literally being worked out where the attack comes from places that were unimaginable, didn't see it coming, but clued in to who the enemy is, what he's up to, and what his ways are. We can be a whole lot better armed, a whole lot better prepared, and a whole lot more assured of the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do exalt you once again. You are Lord of heaven and earth. By Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is Lord, and he is our Lord, and we are his people. We thank you for that, God. And we pray that you would open our eyes and our awareness to who the enemy is and what he's up to, so that we might stand firm in the place where you have given us authority on this earth, but also because we know who our friend is, that we would not stand in fear, that we would not cede one inch to the devil, but that we might hold fast to all of it as belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would Uh, show each one of us a little bit more today about how to prepare ourselves accordingly and to be ready to walk that out. We ask it in the great, mighty, majestic name of Jesus Christ. Amen.